reflecting on the way it is. Sape Sangrani child conditions are impermanent. Sape Tama Anatta all Dhamma is not self. We talk about emptiness. Uh, the language, the word empty oftentimes conveys like nothing there. And uh, this is language, isn't it? It's, it's this dualistic it's fullness, emptiness. But with intuitive awareness, then there's the paradoxes, uh, the uh, opposites, the extremes op- belong both together, you know, so it's not, one doesn't cancel out the other. With dualism, you get this this extremity of one uh, and not the other. So thinking is, you know, the thinking process, dualistic function is for discriminating sankharas. You know, so this is a important sankhara. This is an important issue. And what you just uh, mentioned is trivial. So there's this this uh, difference between what is important and what is trivial. Now this is discriminating, isn't it? This, this I- the issue that I have is very important. Issue you have is trivial. And, <laughs> and, uh, and you know, we give uh, we we pay attention to what is important. Give all our attention to what is important and dismiss what is trivial. The, we this is the division that comes through attaching to discriminating thinking. So like conceit oftentimes is, you know, self-conceit is where, you know, I don't have time for trivialities and nonsense, uh, silliness and uh, laziness and these disgusting things. You know, I'm I, my life is so important. I'm such a, uh, you know, important person that I can only give my attention to what is really urgent, important, altruistic. Then you, you know, you're inflating yourself, and then I'm, I'm <coughs> I can't be bothered with nonsense because I devote myself to what is serious. <coughs> now, when you listen to. <coughs> You know, when you start listening to yourself and your pretensions and your conceit, you begin to, you know, recognize uh, the the discomfort of being self-important or, you know, seeing yourself as somehow, uh, you know, someone who devotes their life only to the highest goals and despises that which is, isn't, is vulgar and coarse and silly. That's conceit, isn't it? We we can be very conceited in monastic life. You know, we're dedicating, committing our whole life to the Dhamma. And, <coughs> and so even though that's a, you know, a noble endeavor, yet the grasping of that attitude is conceit. 
And conceit is not a condition that brings peace. Being the best, being important, being serious, and and uh, that is, you know, grasping of these identities, when you really look at it, is not peaceful mental state. Feeling better than someone else. I'm a, you know, I'm a more... I'm much more strict than than you are, and I'm more serious monk, and I am, you know, I'm, when I really look at this, feel a sense of being better or superior, this is not peaceful condition. Looking down on someone else. <coughs> feeling better, or inferiority, I'm not as good as, I don't have all the abilities and paramis and virtues and uh, as you have, you're, you're a much better monk than I am, I get caught up in the nonsense and rubbish and I'm a bit lazy and so I'm not as good, that's conceit also. No, these are the two extremes, you know, feeling superior, you know, on a personal level, or feeling inferior, or the the, the more altruistic uh, kind of, uh, we're all the same, you know, everybody's equal, and uh, that, that's very high-minded, you know, and very generous, but it's also conceit, because it's still the sense of you know, it's it's uh, it's kind of clinging to an idea, not wanting to to be feel inferior or inferior. So this is a self. You know, you you create yourself with the these. Uh, you know, with your altruism, with your various conceits, your feelings of inferiority. Uh, all of these. Uh, uh, what the ego uh, is made of. But then the mindfulness then is, is, you know, is knowing, is this knowing of all conditions are impermanent. So conceited attitudes, uh, whether they're superiority, inferiority, or all the same, is seen in terms of Dhamma, it's impermanent. What is important, important issues and trivialities, these are judgments, value judgments, we're seeing them in terms of the way they are in the present, they, they are sankharas, now seeing impermanence then is discernment I mean you may grasp the idea and understand the theory of impermanence and agree with it but that's still that's still a thought isn't it you know everything's impermanent and Buddha said everything is impermanent so everything must be impermanent <laughs> But you're not discerning impermanence, you're just agreeing with somebody else's statement. 
discerning impermanence isn't conceit because it's not a matter of you know the, you're you're functioning in a different way from the intuitive level awareness you, you're aware of change rather than just agreeing with the statement all conditions are impermanent so this is like discerning then or or sati sampachanya is like this, is the ability to observe, witness, notice the way it is. So in terms of experience here and now, see sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, thought, you know, we begin to notice how, you know, sound, say, uh, is, is impermanent. You know, a bird singing, or the wind, or the rain, or any form of music, or noise, or, you know, whatever, uh, what we hear, if you really, you're, obse- you're, you're, you're not evaluating in terms of it's, it's, it's noisy, or it's melodious, that's a ugly sound cacophonous, hurts my ears, don't like it, that's discriminating, and then the, the sound, uh, some beautiful uh, music, Mozart or something, say, oh, it's so sublime, <laughs> then you <laughs> uh, get, uh, that's, that's discriminating, you know, I like Mozart, but I don't like the sound of a pneumatic drill. But in discerning, you know, just seeing the impermanence of that of music, Mozart and and the pneumatic drill. You're you're, you're observing. And you also can because an intuitive moment includes everything, you can dis discern aversion to the sound of the pneumatic drill. Now let's say we're sitting here and then somebody starts uh, out just outside the meditation hall they start a loud cacophony you know eardrum splitting nomadic drill sound and you you know we'll probably react with aversion you know tell them to stop it's disturbing my meditation (laughs) We get carried away with the aversion to the sound, but actually, if you, as more you trust in your awareness, you're you're aware of the impermanence of sound, and of also the aversion you have of how <coughs> aversion arises and ceases. Uh, it's like it, it, intuitive awareness embraces everything. It's not discriminating and trying to control or or dismiss what we don't like or run away from it, but includes everything because the, this is this is we discern the differences in not in terms of preferences anymore but of their nature of change
Now, in worldly life, then what is important is, you know, we, you know, this this is good and it's uh, necessary. It's being responsible, being accountable, being honest. Uh, all these these good qualities, you know, are you know, encouraged to do good, think good thoughts, uh, speak in, in, you know, with in the proper way, not to misuse speech. This is all, you know, inclining toward the, toward the good. And so action, you know, we live in a, in this conventional realm, conditioned phenomena, so, you know, the aim is to, you know, do good, the, the, you know, the traditional advice is do good, refrain from doing evil. And that's good advice. But in terms of discerning, you're aware of good is impermanent, evil is impermanent. You're not, you, you know, so th- this is, isn't saying you can, somebody wrote a note the other day saying that you can just do anything. It's like being a psychopath. You have no guilt or shame. Everything's impermanent. Just <laughs> watch, you know, watch yourself robbing a bank or killing somebody. <laughs> as long as you're mindful, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's, uh, I hope you don't think I'm suggesting that. <laughs> But in terms of Dhamma, then they're of equal value, good and evil. You know, these are are discriminations of the intellect, good and evil. But on the discerning, they're sankharas. You know, they're they're changing conditions, arising and ceasing according to other conditions. So that's like at the beginning of the retreat, the eight precepts. This is uh, this is the agreements on behavior. You know, so you you know refrain from killing and lying and so forth. But then, in terms of discerning, we might feel impulses to kill and lie and things like this, or evil in- evil impulses can arise. But we're we're now discerning them in their changingness rather than than uh, getting uh, intimidated or caught into their quality or their value. Now this this is like this is why it's important to recognize this, realize. Awareness, sati sampachanya, because you can't create it. It's not a condition <coughs> it, that you create. It, it's recog- you recognize it, realize it. It's this, 
and therefore you know it's uh, it's subtle because we're you know we're we're not we don't do this usually we live in a world of discrimination our worlds are made out of opinions views conditions cultural conditions personality habits values principles standards fears and desires so so these are you know these are the, this is the the world the samsara that that we're used to we're used to this we're habituated to it So even though we can live in a world, a miserable world, at least we're used to it. You know, so, you know we, we get used to misery or, you know, the sense of life being meaningless and unfair and that. We can, at least, you know, this is a condition, this is an attitude that we might be very familiar with and, and used to, to being in this realm of negativity. But then in, in in discerning then mindfulness we're 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 not trying to say you shouldn't be negative and you should be positive and full of love. That's that's I, that's another extreme and an ideal of how you know, one should be. But the awakened state of discerning of observing is observing the the way it is, the Dhamma. So that's the, all conditions are impermanent. Now that's very intimidating, where it's like, you know, somebody, the Buddhists, we get this a lot, where you say, you know, somebody comes to Amravati and they, <coughs> Maybe somebody's rude to them here, or they don't have a very good experience here at Amravati. So they write me a letter and said, I thought Buddhists were supposed to be compassionate. <laughs> and, uh, so this is, you know, I come to Amravati and I was just treated rudely. And I, I always thought Buddhists were kind people. Then so. This is intimidating, isn't it? You know, I'm a, I'm a Buddhist. I'm a habit of Amravati. Then Buddhists are supposed to be kind and compassionate, but this person feels that their experience here was they were treated badly. And so, on a personal level, I can get intimidated when people do that to me. You're supposed to be compassionate. And you're not. <laughs> <laughs> now observing this is, <laughs> is uh, observing this how how words intimidate me personally emotionally or like uh, uh, responsibility that's a powerful one <coughs> so you have you're responsible you're the head monk of this monastery you're responsible for it you should make sure all those monks and nuns are compassionate. <laughs> which one? Which one? Which nun? Which monk was? 
and, and then go on a tirade, right? You know, to the sangha saying, "You should be more compassionate and not so rude to me." <laughs> so the world is created. Even being an abbot of monastery, I c- live in a world of abbotness and responsibility for everything and being the perfect Buddhist for everybody and being trying my best to be compassionate under all conditions. This is, you know, this, see how words do intimidate. Tones of voice intimidate. Very accusatory voices, you know, or whatever they can make you feel threatened or anxious or intimidated by the, the tone of voice or a word. I remember you know, because uh, uh, say the word responsibility is, you know, Americans were, this is, you know, you're supposed to be responsible, take on responsibility, don't be irresponsible, and you hear this all your life, you know. So this word, I began to notice how this word had an effect on me, like when I hear this word responsible, I kind of, I feel my body contracting. I say, we must be responsible. I feel, I feel, I can feel, I'm discern this physical contraction just through somebody uh, telling me I'm responsible. This is discerning, isn't it? Just discerning this. I'm not saying it's good or bad, but it, it's b- being aware of what you know how when when things impinge on you, you hear. Uh, tones of voice or particular intimidating words or or accusations <coughs> so you you know observing the body and notice this contraction i'm responsible for this monastery okay. Um, so this is the ego, isn't it, uh, on a personal level. You know, I, I hold the idea, I want to be responsible. It's a good idea. I'm not against responsibility. All for it. And, uh, and you know, it's, uh, you know we, we respect people who take on responsibilities and so on. So that's not, not a dismissal of it, but recognizing how just one word can can have such a, powerful effect on on your consciousness and on your body <coughs> and we do this to each other isn't it we we intimidate or you know say things you know to to create some kind of feeling you know kind of you know the way, you know, you can say, Buddhists should be compassionate. I always think Buddhists are compassionate, but they're not. And, you know, you feel like this. But then the discerning is, you're discerning the impermanence of this feeling, you know, and you're, then you're reflecting on on how, you know, the, what you what I'm clinging to I'm clinging to a perception of responsibility that I acquired out of ignorance, out of worldly values, 
you know, so the worldly values of responsibility, the ideal of responsibility, and my personality c- are connected in that way. So you can intimidate me with that word on a personal level. So then, you, you know, because you you're aware of this, you're not, you know, anything. Well, I don't want to. Be, I I don't want to be Abbot anymore because. I can't, you know, just there's too many responsibilities here. I want to go off to my cave in the Himalayas. And that was that was the whinging uh, reaction I had to these to these situations. <coughs> I never asked for this position. It was just thrust on me, and. And I'm tired of it. I want to go off to my cave where I don't have any responsibilities. And then listening, discerning this, this, uh, this uh, how the ego works, you know, how it changes, and and this feeling of being intimidated or threatened by something or being blamed or criticized. And then we do, you know, I do it to the others. You know, I can be just, you know, I'm certainly guilty of this myself. <laughs> but in terms of discerning, you know, then it's not a problem. You know, you learn from it. And you're, you're, not, you're not seeing the discerning, it's changing. This isn't dismissing it. I'm not... Uh, you know, taking the opposite. I don't have to be responsible, or or go into the opposite, into the other extreme. But discern this feeling of how how uh, uh, words do affect me emotionally. <coughs> like this. Then more and more the the wisdom faculty that is you know when you, you're not you're not operating from this ego that easily gets you know intimidated and and uh, overwhelmed by by responsibilities you know, a much more sense of of resting in this awareness where the world moves and changes. But you know the world, so it's it's not something that you're, you know, you're you're depending on anymore. The knower of the world is an epithet for the Buddha. Loka we do to know, the world is the world. Like this is this the. Uh, Tidameta's tenth year as a Silatara, an Ajahn. And they say, You're an Ajahn now. And she goes, Kind of. Because <laughs> 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 that means you have more responsibility, doesn't it? Ajahns have to be compassionate at all times, of course, and <laughs> wise every moment. And responsible, and those are rather threatening, you know. And 
those are threatening uh, words, you know, these feel, am I, can I rise up to that? I'm not, you know, self-doubt, the ego will create self-doubt and resistance. <coughs> but the awareness of this, that's the important thing, this is what, you know, we're, we're in this, we're using this convention for, is not to to become ajans and all that. This is that's just part of you know the the on the worldly level, but to be this knowing, this awareness and trustingness. It's a refuge. It's a re- it's it's a holiday of the heart. It's pakpon tang jitai. It's being at ease. Being at ease with the world not doesn't mean we like everything or approve or we don't care, but we know better than to make a problem, to create more problems about the way it is. So then, uh, then our ability to respond to contingencies, special situations, is from an intuition, intuitive wisdom rather than reactivity, intimidation, trying to become, you know, being caught up in, burning out with the sense of I I have to be responsible for everything and uh, I've got all these these duties and responsibilities to to perform and believing this, then we, we are, we, we burn out, we, we exhaust ourselves. So then, responsibility is not self. <laughs> Doesn't mean you, uh, you know you're being irresponsible. It's just putting it in its proper place. And this is trusting in the awareness. Then means we can cope with the worldly conditions that we're experiencing, no matter what they might be.